Welcome to the Women of TBC podcast. You'll hear content from women's Bible studies and other women's events. For more information, visit templebiblechurch.org. I had a totally different song um, selected, and then Courtney sent me a song yesterday that's just so perfect for Romans 3 and 4. And so I've put a song sheet on your table um, for each of you because the words are going to be up on the screen and they're going to be hard to read. And so if you'd like to have that in front of you, I'd also like you to be able to take it home so you can meditate on the words. If you get nothing from my talk today, I hope you will just meditate on the words of this song. So let's all stand up. We're going to say our memory verse together and then we will sing this together. All right, let's read what's on the screen together. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Let's sing.
shall be my final breath and when i stand accepted before the throne of god i'll gaze upon my jesus and thank him for the cross so incredibly thankful that you have paid our debt in full, that it's done, it's finished. Thank you so much, Father, for the gift of grace that you've given us so freely in Jesus Christ, our Lord. And God, would you help us now as we consider Romans chapter 4, would you, would you teach us, would you instruct us, would you open our eyes to something new, would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear, and hearts to understand what you might have to teach each one of us individually and all of us collectively as your people. God, we thank you in advance for what you will do. In Jesus' name, amen. Be seated. Well, Courtney did such a fantastic job last week helping us understand the depth of our sin and the joy of our salvation that Paul laid out for us in Romans chapter 3. It's what that song so beautifully depicted. Not only is God satisfied by Jesus' death on our behalf, but he credits us with Christ's righteousness. His merit is now our own. So chapter 4 is going to expound upon this good news, helping us to see that granting righteousness by faith is not new for God. He's always been in this business since the origins of Israel, Paul is going to take the Jews and his audience back to their roots to remind them and us that God is the same yesterday, and today, and forever, and he can always be trusted. Now, as a child, I grew up singing an annoying song in Sunday school and at church camp. Sometimes if I'm walking down the children's wing on a Sunday morning, I still hear it being sung here at Temple Bible Church. Maybe you know it. It's called Father Abraham. And it endlessly repeats these words, adding a new movement every time. Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's all praise the Lord. Oh, don't go there yet. I don't know about you, but as a child, I had 
no idea what Father Abraham had to do with Jesus and why we had to move like a crazy person in response to this. But Romans 4 tells us that Abraham, in fact, has a lot to do with the good news about Jesus Christ, and that's really worthy of all of our praise. And so I'm going to use this silly song as our outline for today's lesson. First of all, Father Abraham had many sons. So who was this guy, Abraham, and just how many sons did he have? Well, Paul is making a bold point here in chapter 4 that every saint in Rome, Gentile and Jew, justified by faith in Jesus, is a child of Abraham. And this was a hard sell to the Jewish Christians in Rome. <clears throat> they thought that they were the only ones who were the, who were the children of Abraham. So Paul has some explaining to do. Now God first introduces us to Abraham, first called Abram, in Genesis chapter 12. And since the Jews in this audience would have known these stories very well, and Paul counts on us knowing all of these events when they happened in Abraham's life, I would like us to review a timeline of Abraham's life before we read Romans chapter 4. Now if you look on the back of that song sheet I gave you. I gave you kind of the bones of this. You might want to use it to write some notes as we go through this. I hope that it helps you to visualize some key events in Abraham's life, but I really want you to see how God is the subject of Abraham's story. So we're going to start when Abraham was 75 years old. Can you believe that? This is when God called him. And God made a covenant with Abraham. This is Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, Abram, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Well, just a little bit later, likely in the same year after Abram has obeyed God and left his home in Ur and settled in Canaan and separated from his nephew Lot, God expounds upon this covenant and God ratifies it in a special way. So in Genesis 15, verse 1, we read that the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, Fear not, Abram, I am your shield your reward shall be very great. And then we skip down to verse 5. And God brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to num number them. And then he said to Abram, So shall your offspring be. And here's our verse that we quoted as our memory verse. And he, Abram, believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. So as was the custom of this day, Abraham, at this time, gathered some animals so that he and God could seal this covenant. He took the animals and he sacrificed them and he cut their bodies in two so that he and God could walk through the pieces of these dead animals together. And as they walked through those pieces, they would be saying, May we be like these dead animals if either of us breaks this covenant. But God does something radical before he and Abram walk through the pieces. He puts Abram into a very deep sleep. And then you see in verses 17 and 18. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, 
Behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch. Both of these things representing God himself passed between these pieces. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. So God made a profound statement in this ceremony. By putting Abram to sleep and passing through the pieces himself, God was saying, this is important, this is not about you, Abram. It's all about me. I will be the one to be cut in two when you and your descendants break this covenant with me. When you choose to go your own way instead of trusting me, I'm the one who will keep this covenant to bless all of the nations of the earth through your heir, my son, Jesus Christ. And then 11 years later, when Abram was 86 years old, he and Sarai, his wife, got impatient, waiting for this heir apparent. They weren't getting any younger. So they took matters into their own hands, and they had a son by Sarai's maidservant, Hagar, and they named him Ishmael. And 13 years later, when Abram was 99 and Ishmael was 13, God gave a sign of his covenant, the sign of circumcision to Abram's family. In Genesis 17, we're going to read verses 4 and 5 and 10 and 11. God says, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. Well, that same year, God told Abraham and Sarah that their own miracle baby was, in fact, on the way. And nine months later, when Abraham was 100 and Sarah was 90, 25 years after God promised Abraham a son, God gave Abraham the son of promise. In Genesis 21, 1 through 4, we read, The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord said to Sarah, did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Well, sometime later, God asked Abraham to take this son of promise, Isaac, and to sacrifice him on Mount Moriah. And just as Abraham was about to kill his son, God stopped him and God provided a sacrifice. Genesis 22, 13 to 14 says, And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns, and Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. So on that very same mountain, Mount Moriah, more than 1,000 years later, God did provide the perfect sacrifice, 
his son Jesus, crucified as the Passover lamb who took away the sins of the world. Well, finally, Abraham died at the age of 175, and at least 330 years later, at least, could have been more, God delivered his descendants out of slavery in Egypt into the desert and then gave them a law to follow. A law that would set them apart as a light to all of the nations around them, but one that they would never be able to follow until Jesus came to follow it completely. So did you notice in this story that, the, that Abraham's story was all about God? So is the book of Romans. Remember Romans 1, 17 told us that the gospel of God reveals his righteousness from faith, so all the way back to Abraham, for faith, our faith today in Jesus Christ. So chapter 4 is all about God's righteousness. I want you to see that God's righteousness is credited by belief and results in belonging. It's credited by belief and results in belonging. Three times in chapter 4, verses 3, verse 9, and verse 22, Paul reminds his readers that Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. So what did Abraham believe? The text says he believed God. That is faith, not just believing in God, but trusting God, that what he says is true, good, and always right. Abraham believed what God promised, even when he was old and childless, that he would be the father of many nations and that through his own offspring, a future heir, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. I love how Paul told us in Galatians 3 verse 8 that God was preaching the gospel to Abraham in that promise. The future heir would be the promised Messiah, Jesus Christ, Abraham, or Abram at the time, didn't understand all of those details, but he believed God, God who is Father, Son, and Spirit all at the same time. And that belief was counted to him as righteousness. Now this word counted or credited, I hope you saw this in your study this week, is actually an accounting word. And in the original Greek, it literally means that righteousness was added to Abraham's account. Abraham, Abraham's faith was not his righteousness, but Abraham was freely given or credited God's righteousness, and it was received by faith. So Paul challenges us with two important questions about righteousness and belief in chapter 4. First, in verses 4 through 8, did Abraham earn God's righteousness, or did he receive it as a gift? Clearly, the righteousness was a gift from God. Not only did Abraham not do anything to deserve this gift when God gave it to him, but he continued to sin after the righteousness had been given to him. Paul quotes David in verses 7 and 8, Israel's greatest king, reminding the Jews that even as a sinner... God did not count David's sin against him, but remained faithful to his covenant promises to Abraham. 
Next, in verses 18 to 21, we see this question. Was Abraham's hope in himself or was it in God? I think taking matters into his own hands with Hagar had been an ultimate disaster. Abraham's hope was in the only reliable source, God himself. Look at verses 18 and 19 of chapter 4. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. Well, what about when God asked him to sacrifice that promised son, Isaac? Paul doesn't tell us about this in Romans, but the Hebrew writer had something to say about it. In Hebrews 11, 17 to 19, it says, By faith, when he was tested, Abraham offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He, Abraham, considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. So the full weight of Abraham's trust, I think we can see, was in God. I think that's why Paul said in verses 20 and 22 of chapter 4, No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God fully convinced that God was the one who was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. God is righteous. He's always right. And so saving faith is essentially a trust transfer. It's placing the full weight of your trust in God and his ability to do what he promises to do, rather than trusting yourself or anything else. Now let's consider God's righteousness and how it results in belonging. Abraham's descendants, the Jews, had two important identity markers, signs that they belonged to God as part of his chosen people, Israel. I know you've talked about them a lot in your groups, right? Circumcision and the law. So Paul challenges them with two important questions. The first one, was righteousness counted to Abraham before or after he was circumcised? He answers this very directly, verses 10 through 12. It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. And to make him the father of the circumcised, who are not merely circumcised, but also, but also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. That's a lot of times to say circumcised. <laughs> so righteousness was credited to Abraham, we saw, 24 years before he and his household, including Ishmael, was circumcised. 24 years before. Verse 11 tells us that circumcision was a seal of the righteousness that Abraham already had by faith when he was circumcised. Now a seal is something that confirms or ratifies or makes secure. 
It's a mark of ownership. And in this case, it was a guarantee that Abraham and his descendants belonged to God. No Jewish boy from that day forward would be able to opt out of circumcision. But circumcision didn't make them righteous. God made them righteous by faith. In the same way, God makes sinners righteous by faith in Jesus. But then he marks us all in a similar way, Jews and Gentiles with a seal of ownership, his Holy Spirit who circumcises our heart, a guarantee that we now belong to God as his chosen people. Well, Paul's second question was, was righteousness counted to Abraham before or after the law was given or even followed? Look at verse 13. For the promise of Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. So did the law save Abraham and his family? No, absolutely not. We saw in that timeline as a family group, the nation of Israel didn't receive the law until 430 years after God made the promise to Abraham, giving him his righteousness. And then when they did have the law, they were never able to fully obey it. Rather, the law revealed to them what sin was and what God required to atone for it, how costly it really was. And it served as their guardian to protect them and to point them to the Messiah who would obey it perfectly and then write a new law on their hearts by his spirit. Look at verse 16 in chapter 4. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. So Paul is challenging all the Jews and the Gentiles and us here to consider that we have a new identity in Christ. We are those who wear the righteousness of God by faith in Jesus. So Father Abraham had many sons and even daughters indeed. Well, the song goes on to say, I am one of them, and so are you and you and you and you and you. So how does Abraham's faith apply to us? Well, Paul tells us in verses 23 to 25 of chapter 4, But the words it was counted to him were not written for his, Abraham's sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So Abraham believed God and what he promised to him, and that belief was credited to him as righteousness. We believe God. We believe what he has promised us, that by faith he came to us as the Son of God and died in our place to satisfy sin's wrath once and for all. And God tells us, he promises us, that he credits us with his righteousness by his Spirit, as a guarantee that we belong to him forever. Galatians 3, 26 to 29 was powerful in our homework this week. Paul reminds us that as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. We literally wear his righteousness like a robe. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, 
There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. So the song ends with this phrase, let's all praise the Lord. And the question I want to leave you with today is why should we? I really hate to admit this to you all, but I haven't always found this good news of justification by faith as a reason to praise God with joy. For so much of my life, I traded the freedom of this gift of grace for a self-prescribed burden to perform, to be good. A good student, a good friend, a good mom, a good wife, a good employee. And I was so full of myself that I defined good by what I or other people thought of me rather than who God actually was. I could only be content if I was making good grades or if people liked me or if my children were well-behaved or well-received. And this was honestly a miserable way to live because it was all about me and I consistently let myself down. But when, when God finally got a hold of my heart and he really showed me who I am, a sinner saved by the undeserved grace of Jesus Christ, something really started to change in me. I started to see God's goodness in a new way, and I couldn't help but praise or worship him, no matter what, no matter what my circumstances, no matter what people thought of me. Now, this does not mean that I don't consistently fail or am never sad. I continue to struggle with sin, and you all know that I struggle with sadness quite regularly. But to this day, I'm simply overcome, overcome by the goodness and the mercy of Jesus Christ. I realize all day, every day, that I am defined and shaped by this truth. I, Amy, have sinned. And fallen short of the glory of God and am justified freely by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, my Lord. The Father is not surprised by my sin, nor is he impressed by my works. But he is well pleased with his son Jesus who resides in me. And the Holy Spirit consistently reminds me of just how loved I truly am. And the Holy Spirit convinces me in his strength to walk by faith and not by sight. So my security is no longer in my performance, but in the promises of a good and faithful God. So isn't our God great? Isn't that something we can celebrate together? I know it's hard for all of us to really celebrate in the Lord, to shout a hallelujah or to stand up and jump around. And so I am literally going to ask you today to stand up, and we are going to sing Father Abraham. Now, you're going to have to put all your stuff down. We're going to sing it with the video, and this video is moving around a lot. So I encourage you to do so as you are able. Let's sing it together.
All right, we're going to pray. You can, you can stay standing. You can stay standing. We're going to pray and close out. God, we celebrate the goodness that you have just freely given us by saving us through your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for crediting us with your righteousness. God, would you increase our faith? Would you, would you give us the courage and the strength to trust you wholeheartedly every minute of every day? And God, we just, we just praise you together. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. And you're dismissed.